stationary. Y'all know I love to take notes. I love to write. I love to write on paper. I love to write in notebooks. Matt, what'd you give me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, and I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a, like a text file or whatever. Actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple Pencil with it, I have been doing that on there, and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called nanodots. With those nanodots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook, here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you've got a paper-like and I'm sure it's, it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have yes. specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use. And paper, like, feels good on the iPad. Uh, they also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with, but getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, <laughs> that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a paper-like on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better, this is how you do it. So, to pick up your paper-like, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click Buy Paper-like, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their Digital Pro Planner Bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com Ajax to get started. Hello, everybody. And it's good to see you. We should catch up. That's right, it's Comics Catch-Up. This is the show where I, Chris Sims, and Matt Wilson, who is also here. 
Hello. We read comics, but not the comics that we normally read. We read the comics that we missed out on because we were too busy reading bad comics. Or at the very least, we read an issue or two of these and we're like, oh, this book's good. And then we stopped reading them to read bad comics. <laughs> for, for reasons that escape me. Matt, how are you tonight? Chris, I'm okay. Uh, I, we're both having a bachelor night tonight. Yeah, as, uh, as Tom Baddock would say, batching it. Yes, that's exactly what Tom Baddock, the cartoonist behind Funky Winkerbean, would say. Yeah, it's very unfortunate that he would say that, but uh, here we are. It's the world we live in. A- ain't it, though? Yeah. Matt, I'm having a good night. I accidentally ordered vegan fried chicken for dinner. Ooh. How how did that go? Plot twist. It was pretty good. Yeah, I figured it would be restaurant quality vegan fried chicken would be pretty good. I ordered my dinner from a place called Herbie Bushers. Uh-huh. Herbie spelled like Herbie Hancock. Uh, this is the fried chicken restaurant run by the herbivorous butcher. Okay. So there's it's not, as I thought, a dude named Herbie. It no, is it's, a, it's it a is vegan a, place. Yeah. 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 But it was good. It was good. Look, you find the right restaurant, and vegan food can be great. There's a place when I lived in Chicago, like right around the corner from where I lived, the Chicago Diner. And they had fantastic vegetarian and vegan food. Yeah, there's, the a, there's a vegan milkshake you could imagine. This place also had shakes. Yeah. And I'm curious about it now. Because I did, in a true tribute to the fact that I was not aware I was getting a vegan dinner, I did tack on a, a DQ Blizzard on that DoorDash order. I DQ'd tonight as well. Oh, Bachelor Night, baby? Yeah. We're going to read some, some five-year-old comics and, and have a blizzard. I had a dipped cone, but you, yeah, yeah, same difference. The dipped cone, well, popular in this household. Love a dipped cone. The comic we read, now that uh, you know about our food choices, oh, while we batch it, I ate leftovers from a brown plate fried shrimp, my friend. Love that brown plate. Love a brown plate. The comic we read was Black Canary from 2015. Part of the DCU, Y-O-U, line of comics. So after the New 52, predating Rebirth. Like a year before Re- Rebirth. I yes. believe Rebirth happens while this series is going. Yes, I think you're right. But but what's what's notable about that DCU line was that it was, to my recollection, quite experimental. Boy, I forgot about DCYOU. Yeah. DCU. It was their big push of like, we're going to feature our non-mainstream characters that kind of like, to not to put, put too fine a point on, on it, B-listers. Yeah, it was the the characters that, as you said, this is post-New 52, and this is after the New 52 had gone through uh, quite a bit of attrition. 
Uh, and I think Correct. they finally stopped putting the new 52 on the covers of these comics. Like three or four years later, yeah. And they were like, okay, we're going to do some stuff that's maybe not directly square in the middle of superheroes. Because as much as they, they had talked about you know, doing a bunch of different kinds of books in in the New 52 in 2011 and 2012, the whole deal with the New 52 was that it was all in the DC Universe. So if I, Vampire, you can say that is a horror comic, but that is a horror comic in the DC Universe with Team 7 and Stormwatch. Right. So here's what I remember from DCU. I remember a David Walker cyborg book. I feel like that's another one I read the first issue of, and I was like, that was pretty good. And then did not read the second. As far as I know, it was pretty good, but I didn't totally keep up with it. The Steve Orlando Midnighter series was part of it. So that's, that's good. That was good. Gotham Academy came out of DCU. That's right. There was a whole different direction on Starfire with Amanda Connor. Could could not have been the same direction. No, totally different direction. That We Are Robin book came out of DCU. Oh, yeah. Why does it feel like this is 30 years ago? I know. There was a Batman Beyond book. There were some like high-concept comics that came out of DCU. And what it reminded me of... Oh, Omega Men also mm. was yeah. a result of DCU. Was Grayson a part of that? Yes, Grayson was also part of that. Yeah, man, that was that was the that was the days of Tom King. Th- that was the days of Tom King. You ain't kidding, because those are two good ass books. You ain't you ain't kidding. Uh, but yeah. th- th- high concepts, high concepts are what these books were, and yeah. what it reminded me of, and what this book especially reminds me of, this Black Canary book, was. That period, there were actually a couple different periods where Vertigo Comics was not just like sort of semi-independent, quote-unquote, mature readers books that were self-contained, but were extensions of DC Comics. Starting with Swamp Thing, obviously. And Sandman would be part of that too, but there was that, like in the mid-2000s, there was that Creeper miniseries. The Cliff Chang one? Yeah, the like, yeah. like Creeper in France. Uh, may we? Every once in a while, Vertigo would do this stuff where it would do these kind of like more grounded, less superhero-y DC superhero comics. Yeah, or, or at least offbeat. Yeah. Uh, to use the word that, uh, that, that Stan always liked to throw around. Yeah. And reading this Black Canary book, and I think I thought about, I sort of had this thought even at the time, but reading it now, this time, which this book was by Brendan Fletcher, written by Brendan Fletcher, and ostensibly was the, the lead main artist was Annie Wu, even though Annie Wu doesn't draw half of these issues, mm-hmm. which is a bummer because there's only 12 of them. 
Yeah. But I mean, like, the, the issues look good. Like, Sandy Gerald draws some of these, who people might know from, uh, if not this, then the Batman 66 comic. Yeah, Sandy Gerald's issues look good. There's a Superman really guy also. There's a really good looking issue drawn by Moritat. Yeah. Like it, that is a beautiful issue of comics, actually. I think it's nine or ten. Um mm-hmm. really good. Uh great colors in that issue too. But you know, you you want the art on a book like this to be consistent. And I think that's one of the biggest things that I would say would be in the con column about this Black Canary series is the art is is not especially consistent. But you know, it's interesting that you say that though, because I felt like obviously the like the Annie Wu issues are drawn by Annie Wu. Yes. And they're very distinct. Uh but the Sandy Gerald issues, the Maratot issues, like those. Uh, there's also a, a couple of Piaguera issues. Yep, Piaguera uh, does draw some of these. The uh, co-creator of Why the Last Man, which makes it feel even more Vertigo. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's because of the coloring. I know Lee Loffridge did uh, issues of this, if not the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, but I do feel like they all. They all look of a piece. It's there's not like a jarring artistic shift or or not like something where someone is like obviously coming in and doing like a rushed fill in. Yeah, the one that's probably the most different is the Moritat issue. Yeah. Cause it has Which a very cool. dis- great, yeah. distinctive look about it. I just you know, when you promise me Annie Wu art, I I want Annie Wu art through the whole thing. So the fact that even by like the fourth or fifth issue, we have different artists on the book is a little disappointing. Uh, but, but anyway, back to my point, this feels like those Vertigo books that are definitely within – DC comics within the DC universe, but that don't necessarily feel like a superhero book mm-hmm. where superheroes are doing things other than superhero shit. Because this book is all about Dinah Lance, DD, as she's called throughout the series, being the lead singer in a band called Black Canary. And there's superhero stuff in it, especially the further the closer you get to the end. It's really kind of more like spy stuff, though. Well, there's there's superhero stuff in that, like the the kind of high concept of the first issues, like the the thing that's going to grab you about this book is that it's Dinah Drake on tour with her band, and everywhere they go a fight breaks out because someone's trying to kill them and get ditto the silent young guitarist. Yes. Uh, who is mysterious. So and, it's got like, and yes, yeah, she's going by Dinah, Dinah Drake because she is not using her married name, Dinah Lance that she got for being married to Kurt Lance, who 
shows up as a character in here, even though people think he's dead. Yeah, he's dead, and then he's not dead. And then we get a... Uh, I mentioned Team 7 earlier. There is a Team 7 appearance in this, uh, where we find out that's... If if it was not established before, that's where uh, Dinah got her superpowers, when she was in Team 7. That's right. Team 7 with, with John Lynch, I guess? I'm trying to remember who all used to be in Team 7. Grifter? Kurt Lance was in Team 7. That's, that's Kurt where, Lance? Yeah. Yeah. Grifter? Gen 13's dad. I can give you the full list of members of Team uh, Team 7 if you want. Amanda Waller, Alex Fairchild, Gen 13's dad. Caitlin Fairchild's dad. Bronson. James Bronson. Bronson, who did Fist of the North Star? <laughs> no, it's, it's, the character's name is Bronson, oh. a.k.a. James Bronson. Cole Cash, that's Grifter. That's Grifter. Dinah Drake, Kurt Lance... Summer Ramos, who was known as Captain Ramos. Dean Higgins. Slade Wilson. That's Deathstroke. That's Deathstroke. And Steve Trevor. So John Lynch, Gen 13's dad, was not in that. No, Alex Fairchild was in that. Alex Fairchild, Caitlin Fairchild's dad. Yes, correct. Man, the weird cannibalization of the Wildstorm universe is probably the weirdest thing that DC has done Very in, a, in a hot minute. And it kind of went away, right? Like, who from Wildstorm is still around in DC Comics? Just Midnighter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Midnighter and Apollo, I guess. Pretty, that's They're pretty much it. Yeah, Where's I have it? not seen Grifter lately. I mean, Grifter might be around, but like... Remember when the New 52 happened and there was a Grifter ongoing series and the plot was Rom Space Knight? I do. Yes, I he, do. he was the only one who could see the Daemonites? I do remember that. And also, the Martian Manhunter was in Stormwatch? It's weird, man. New 52 was fucking stupid, dude. <laughs> they tried. I, the least you could say, or the most you could say about the New 52 is they tried. I keep thinking i guess that we we missed the 10 years cuz that would have been september of last year so maybe maybe 15 years on we'll we should go back and look at the new 52 and see if it's bad cuz i know there was good stuff in there i mean yes there were some good books and there were some good books that i think got canceled before their time. That OMAC book was good, actually. The OMAC book was good, actually, which is weird. Yeah. The Frankenstein book was good, actually. I remember Animal Man being good. Action and uh, Batman, obviously. Yeah, were good. Action and Batman were the obvious ones, yeah. I know that Wonder Woman run is divisive. <laughs> Ultimately, I think that Wonder Woman run is probably bad. <laughs> it did some stuff. It was it seemed really interesting at first and then it did some stuff that was very ill-advised. It's it's so weird to think about how like all that happened essentially at the start of 2012, right? Yeah, late and 2011, it, 2012. Yeah, the Justice League came out in September, everything else came out in October. And then literally 3 years later in 2015 they were like, 
uh, actually, we gotta get it, some of this stuff back. And then in 2016, they were like, yeah, we're actually gonna get a lot of it back. And then now it's like, fucking hyper time! Yeah, I mean, look, it's... Well, the DCU thing, ultimately, the high concepts didn't succeed. This Black Canary book was only 12 issues. Yeah. The, the uh, Even the high concept stuff that was happening in the mainline titles, like... Jim Gordon becoming Batman was part of DCU. Yeah, but I don't think that was I I think it's it this is weird to say because as as someone who was writing mainstream superhero comics <laughs> sort of at the time not sort it's of hard was you were <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah, ma- mainstream it was well, you know. I mean, it's fuck, a, it had Wolverine in it, so from a major publisher, yeah. Like it's in my experience, it was hard to think of anything as being this is the new permanent thing, right? Right. If your name was not Brian Bendis or Jeff Johns. Even then, it was not permanent. Everything yeah. is in flux. Was and is in flux all the time. So, I I feel like. We all knew Jim Gordon wasn't going to be Batman for for the next 30 years, you know? But I feel like with a book like this, there is always a chance. In the same way that there was a chance that, like, all right, here's our fifth try at doing Starman. Here's our fourth try at doing Sandman. Like, that's what those books are now, you know? Yeah, like, I mean— well, who's to say? Like, what what would it matter for Black Canary? Well, you can't call her Black Canary for DD Dinah Drake to be in a band called Black Canary from now on. Like, that could stick. That's cool. That's fun. The thing is, and I guess this will get us into a little bit of discussion about the series. Like, I like the series. I like the concept. I like the art. I think the way it's presented, the way the, like, layers peel back for you is really cool. Because the thing that you were saying about how they get attacked at every show, that's not the way it's presented at the beginning, right? The way it's presented at the beginning is they trash every venue that they play. Yeah. Which is like rock and roll lifestyle stuff. Yeah. And only as you keep reading do you find out that it's not their fault that the venues are getting trashed. They're being attacked every time they perform. Because yeah. people are trying to yeah, to kidnap their guitarist. There's a bit early on where they're it, it's kind of it's it's what you want the log line to be, right? It's it's Black Canary, the world's most dangerous band. For sure, yes. And you kind of want, like, I feel like there's a point at which this book was that. Following in the great footprints of scare tactics. Well, I mean, this book is absolutely, talk about another DCU book. It's very much tied into the Batgirl series of the time, right? Yeah. The, The Batgirl of Burnside book that was happening which brendan fletcher was co-writing yeah was one of the lead creators of and 
you know, Batgirl even shows up in this book in a guest spot. I think this actually, like, this is a spinoff of that Batgirl run. For sure, yeah. Because the stuff with Dinah and her old band, Ashes on Sunday, that happens in Batgirl. Right. And, and you know, it very much has a feel like that. It's very much trying to be, like, mid-20-teens cool. There's a lot of like, Oni Press in it. Brooklyn cool. Yes, there is a lot of Oni Press in this. Yeah. De- even down to the colors. Yeah. But but what I like I like the presentation. Like a big part of the Oni Pressness of it is in the presentation of here's a comic book, but we're gonna frame the stories with like articles written in a like a local zine. Uh, it's 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 Burnside Tofu, which is the DC Universe version of Brooklyn Vegan. Yeah, yeah. Which is very funny. Very funny. But it's like, you know, yeah, it's like a local indie zine is reporting on this band, and that's how we're going to frame our comic book. And it's all just going to have this, like, you know, air of coolness to it. And I like that presentation a lot. I think that's really good. The problem is, and my problem with this series is, it feels like on issue five, they find out this book isn't going to stick around. It's it's the problem we've had with so many <laughs> recent comics catch-up comics. It's the problem I was having at yeah. the exact time that this comic was coming out. <laughs> Yeah, where, like, the the writing is on the wall after a handful of issues, and so then it starts rushing. And on a couple of occasions reading this book, I literally had to go back and make sure I didn't miss an issue. Because so much would happen between issues, especially toward the end. It did go quickly, which okay. I don't necessarily think is a bad thing. It's it's interesting to me, Matt, that you read this and you thought of the like mid two thousands Vertigo books, yeah. Because the feeling that I got, and the people who have listened to this show, like and know our taste will understand what I mean when I say this as the highest of compliments. It reminds me of a C-list DC book from 1999 (laughs) because it's like it. I feel like if you like chase and Tom Pyre and Rex Morales is our man, then you're going to love black canary. Cause it has that same kind of that same kind of like offbeatness it's got the same kind of yeah. This is in the DC universe, but like, it's it's in a, D, a part of the DC universe that like you're not gonna run into the Anti Monitor. You know, this is you're, you're more likely to run into Resurrection Man in this book. Yeah, it's it's that kind of book, and I really like. I mean, as you know, like I dig that shit. I don't think you're wrong. I I think it's it's 
totally fair to compare those two things. I think by the time you get to later issues of this book, it's totally in that like late 90s DC vein. Yeah. My favorite issue of the series is issue nine, which is basically self-contained. It's like a flashback issue where Black Canary shows up for a private gig for a kid's birthday party. And uh, they find out after they get there that the party is for Carmine Falcone's granddaughter. (laughs) Yes. That's very much the, uh, like, that is the fill-in issue, right? Like, it's the one that kind of takes place in the middle of a storyline. It's a one-issue oh, uh, story arc. It's a, it's a one-issue story that takes place after a cliffhanger, where in the next issue, in issue 10, they don't actually pick up off the cliffhanger, and I'm like, what did I miss? <laughs> yeah. I felt like the thing that I missed was when... Uh, all of a sudden, Black Canary is, uh, or Dinah Lance, is in a weird jungle temple with Vixen? That happens in issue eight. Yeah, where I was yeah. like, okay, hang on. When did this stuff with Vixen happen? Did I miss an, do I need to go get Vixen annual to find <laughs> out what ha- like why this is happening? Vixen Which, again, keeps- is very 1998 DC Universe. Vixen keeps popping up throughout this like she'll just pop up yeah the version of this comic that goes on for like 36 issues there's a whole thing with vixen i'm sure uh, of course but so there's issue eight where they're like suddenly in this jungle prison then there's issue nine which is this really great standalone issue which i feel like is the best issue about them being a band yes because they show up for a gig they find out that they're playing for people that they hate Dida gets mega trashed <laughs> and only after she like runs into like somebody who she knows who's a huge piece of shit is she like we're not playing we're not doing the show no fuck this they end up having to play and so they start playing but with ulterior motives trying to tell the kid to leave yeah, because there's uh, six assassins that are going to try and kill this kid. Yeah. But she just, the kid just wants to hear her favorite band. And uh, of course, Dinah ends up having to beat the shit out of uh, one of the assassins, uh, Lewis. And that makes the kid mad. And so Carmine Falcone's daughter is like, You're not getting paid. <laughs> that is a perfect story about a band. Yeah, it's a that as you say, it is the best story about them being a band. Like if that if the show is the episodic we are in the band Black Canary going around having adventures, that's the book. Yeah, which it's interesting because not only is that issue written or drawn by Moritat, it's also written by a different writer. It's written by Matthew Rosenberg. <laughs> Who's good? Who's good? That issue, really good. When it picks up on the Brandon Flesher story again in number 10, like we saw Black Canary or Dinah and Vixen escape the prison at the end of the last issue. 
and Black Canary is about to get on a plane back to the U.S. But then issue ten just starts with Dinah hanging out with with Barbara Gordon. Well, she passes the band in the airport, and that's kind of that's a difficult scene transition to to figure out. Yeah, that that's what's supposed to be happening because it, it isn't the big problems with the book. It isn't until later in issue ten that she finds out that the band has been tricked into going to Germany. Yeah, to to be used uh, by villains against her but like it, when she passed the ban at the airport why did she just come back to America like there are th- there's things in the connective tissue between issues where I'm like what is happening what is happening between these issues yeah that's my biggest complaint about the book to be quite honest like and I feel like if there were more issues of the comic that wouldn't be so much of a problem I feel like if there were two more pages in each issue, yeah, that would help too. It, it would not be an issue. But the, the the big betrayal at the end is like mega rushed because because issue twelve has to be the like here's what Dinah imagines her future being issue, which I think is a really great concept. Like yeah. as she's dying. She thinks about her entire her entire future and how she like quits the band Black Canary to become a huge sellout superstar, and she you know ruins her life. I wish that had been framed like Walk Hard, <laughs> where it's like, hang on, before Dinah Drake goes on stage, she has to think about everything she's done. Yeah, that's. That would be very funny. Uh, but yeah, like the whole end of the book where where it turns out there's a demon that's actually two demons that's one demon. There's, a, that, there's a vampire who's two demons. And that this ninja woman who has been claiming to be Dinah's aunt is not her aunt. Dinah's aunt, Sable. Yes. Uh, who is like a total fake out uh betrayal story that there could have been more of that. Yeah. Cause it, it ends up happening very suddenly in issue 11. So we can get the whole, like Dinah living through her whole future in the, the 12th issue. Yeah. There are pacing problems. I don't think it's the book's fault because I'm sure they had to cram 12 issues of story into three or four at the end. Yeah. I I mean, the thing that we've said is like, we can only judge the book that we have, you know? Yeah. And, and again, I I feel like this is a problem we keep running into when we read recent mainstream DC Marvel comics. (laughs) It's almost like these books should be given more than 12 issues. It's almost like that. Or it's almost like if you're going to do a book that's only 12 issues, say so from the start. And don't be like, yeah, yeah, this is an ongoing series. We'll, we'll keep putting it out as long as, uh, as long as it sells. And then it only goes 12. Yeah. I remember like Scott Snyder telling me 
like, and this was around the time of like, I think this was before Jim Gordon and the robots. So he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm writing every story arc. Like I'm going to get kicked off the book afterwards. And I think that's why that run is so memorable to us mm-hmm. because you get, you got to do a Grant Morrison. style. you got to leave it all on the, on the stage on every issue. <laughs> But I guess the only the big risk of doing that is if you don't get kicked off the book, you got to come up with your next story. Yeah, <laughs> that's the fear. But you, you become your own tough act to follow. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot you, of this you just book. come up with the, with the ten medals. Boy, I love them. I love all of those medals. There's a lot to like about this book. I I, I feel like we've been talking about a lot of the negatives, but I love the band. I love every member of the band. I feel like you get to know the band really well throughout the series. I also love that there's a ex singer of the group that got kicked out in favor of Dinah who starts out wanting deep revenge and then eventually she becomes everybody's friend. Yeah, who she becomes uh, Dinah's Marvel movie villain. Exactly. Because every Marvel movie is about someone fighting someone with the exact same powers that they have. Yeah, it's it's the evil version of themselves every time. It's weird that that's every, like, I think the first one to not do that was, was Homecoming. Oh, I think there have been others, but... I mean, I don't think Thor 2 had an evil... He wasn't fighting evil Thor. Okay, but tell me anything about Malekith and Thor 2, though. He was a Romulan. Okay, you got me there. Like, Iron Man fought an evil Iron Man three times. He absolutely did. You're right. It's, it's weird that they didn't do the Masters of Evil in the Avengers movies. I mean, they still could. But... Oh, yeah, they, they still could. It's just like, you know, they, they love that shit. Ant-Man fought an evil Ant-Man. Doctor yep. Strange fought, fought an evil Doctor Strange. He fought an actual evil Doctor Strange. Like, not even just, like, another evil wizard. It was Stephen Strange. That's that's true. <laughs> that's what's extra wild about that one. But, yeah, I love the concept of the, like, jealous ex-lead singer throughout this, though. Bo Maeve. She's great. Yeah. And and the concept of the band is great. I think most of my quibbles with this book and what it does are just about the sort of like way the story is told. The story itself, I think, is really good and really well done. I love the idea of the band members finding out something new about Dinah like constantly (laughs) yes that was fun i thought (laughs) they don't seem to be aware that she was in the justice league no they don't know she was a superhero until she tells them she doesn't they don't know that she was married they don't know like they're just finding out new stuff about her constantly and it like i mean you find out later in the book that she was just kind of like maybe not forced onto the band but like Someone said, she's your new singer now. 
That's another thing that I think comes off as really rushed is that we don't really like kind of the, the mystery of who put this band together is brought up and then answered as quickly as possible. And it's a weird answer. Yeah. It's a demon. A demon did it. No, no, it's, it's, it's not the demon. It's, it's time traveling, uh, time traveling Dinah's dead (laughs) ex-husband. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Which is like really weird and confusing because it's not really clear like what happened to him. Oh, and why he was time traveling and how he got old. Yeah, some, that stuff is is unclear for yeah. sure. But I but I I do respect a book, and this is I think the energy of those kind of experimental Vertigo books and those experimental uh, B list superhero books that that we love. I love the energy of like, yeah, 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 here's a bunch of ideas. Yeah, for sure. It's like issue one. It's like, here's a bunch of new characters. Here's keyboardist Paloma terrific. Here's drummer Lord Byron. Here's guitarist ditto. Who's going to be who the entire series is based around. And here's going to be the band's manager, Heathcliff. Heathcliff. Who's, who is the boyfriend of a character from Gotham Academy? <laughs> yes. It's a, it's a, to tie that. Give me a unified C-list universe any day of the week, man. I mean, that's what DCU really tried to do, right? Like they wanted yeah. to make it a a kind of unified, yeah, like B-list DC universe. Which I don't know if that can happen. I don't know if that can work anymore like it did because DC as a publisher is so laser focused on giving you the one story, right? Like the one story you can put on a bookshelf. They want everything to be dark Knight or, 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 uh, or Watchmen where it's like, this is the, the iconic Batman story. Uh, that's why, that's why they, they keep selling hush, you know, cause it's, it's, it's one thick book that's got everybody in it and that's kind of all they want. And that you don't have to read a bunch of other comics to understand. Yeah. The DCU is sort of like a very brief pushback against that idea because it was so connected, but it didn't, it, I mean, you know. Not to put too fine a point on it, it failed. <laughs> and so, you know, now we're back to Doomsday Clocks and Flashpoint Beyonds. Yeah, but at the same time, it's it's so weird trying to figure out what they want to do, right? Like, as a company. Because I guess, like, at the end of the day, it's a bunch of people and not a company. Uh, but, like... Well, well, it's, I, I do think that DC tends to suffer from different people saying what the plan is. Like every couple of years, somebody new gets to say what the plan is. And Man, so it's, it's weird that that is, I mean, I, I guess it's probably the only part of the Warner brothers media empire that that happens to, huh? <laughs> yeah. But like those different viewpoints and different plans are often contradictory and very, in opposition to one another. Yeah. 
Yeah. But like, if you think about the stuff that we like, like how much did I love that shit in, uh, in chips, Batman, that last issue where it all makes sense. The Batman's going to go put on his weird clothes to fight a robot. That's what I love. People love. People like to. People like superhero universes, Matt. It's it's weird. They do and they don't. People love superhero universes when th- they're couched in the knowledge of them. But there are other people who are just like, I just want to read a story that I don't have to read a bunch of other books to understand. But. But every but the twenty fourth sequel to Iron Man made a billion dollars, and you had to have watched all those movies. But people, everybody has seen all those movies. I know, and everybody loves those movies. Well, less and less, but it's it's diminishing. We are two diminishing returns at this point. But yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, I mean, four four was okay. It was pretty good. I still but haven't like, seen. It. Doctor Strange two kicked ass. Doctor Strange two kicked ass. You're you're right. And and Spider Man three. Spider Man three. Two. Was better than it had any right to be. Spider Man three, aka Spider Man seven. Yeah. Or eight. I guess it was eight. I think it would have been. Seven, because there were the three Raimis, there were the two Webs, and then there's it's the third uh, Tom Holland. Three plus two plus three is eight. Oh yeah, shit. It would have been nine if there were three of each. God, it's too late. We're done talking about Black Canary. Yeah, I think we're done talking about. But hey, I really liked it, and I liked it too. It, the the thing I, I will say this as a proponent of shared universes and as a proponent of stories that make up a patchwork where everything exists at the same time in that Marvel universe style in that post zero hour DC universe style. I do think the one frustrating thing of being a reader like that is to look at a book like this and go, am I the only one who's going to remember this is, is Lord Byron ever going to come back? Are we ever going to see these? Is Ditto ever going to show up in anything or, and, and not just be killed by Dr. Manhattan or whatever. I mean, look, by virtue of the fact that we had to do a catch up about it, it ain't looking good. Yeah. Like that's the one bummer about being that kind of reader. Uh, but the, you know, the reward to that is like Steve Orlando probably read this. He might be, he might do something with it. Or the Steve Orlando of fifteen years from now. Yeah. Or, or yeah. Whoever read this book and 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 this was their Motor City Five. <laughs> uh, I will say one last thing. Uh, I appreciate that this book. Everybody loves to do comics about bands. I've done one. I don't know why everybody loves to do that. Because you can't have audio in comics. <laughs> it's a fully silent medium. But everybody loves to do a story about a band. I think. I, I think. 
this is totally out of my ass, but here's my theory. There's nothing more like a real-life superhero team than a rock band. I think that is 100% correct. I think you nailed it, Matt. Yeah. But I, I feel like this book does a good job of sidestepping the idea of the music. Because we never... They are on stage actually performing for maybe... In 12 issues, maybe five pages. And every time that devolves into a fight. <laughs> yeah. And so I feel like it's like, I, I think you can kind of get an idea of what the band Black Canary sounds like by looking at the art. Uh, because they dress in a particular way. It is a band with a drummer and a guitarist and a very loud singer. But I like the way that it uses music. To, like, set, like, like it uses the idea of music to set certain scenes. I really liked that. There's a really good page where there's a fight that breaks out onto a uh, a page of sheet music, and you know I love that. Like, Black Canary kicks somebody through a whole staff. I don't know what you call those. I never played music. I, I and I think it does a good job. You don't feel like you're missing anything from not being able to hear this band. All right, Chris, let's rank this. I feel like the thing to do is find other DC books from this era that are kind of similar. Here's here's where I immediately went to. Grayson? Chase. Oh, okay. Chase yeah. is at 497. Gotham Academy by Brendan Fletcher, Becky Cluden, and Carl Kershaw is at 496. Okay. Grayson is higher. It's at 219. Grayson is better. I think this is probably more like Gotham Academy and and Chase, yeah. I, I don't think-, think it's as good as either of those. Gotham Academy gets a lot more time. It gets the, that second series and the annual, and they kind of get to to wrap everything up still way too short that book that book should still be fucking going man i don't think it's as good as gotham academy for that reason but i feel like that's you know looking at the stuff around here like uh jeff parker doc shaner and jordy belair's flash gordon is at number 515 that's another like series that it's only eight issues but it's like really good and you wish it had gone on for 10 times that yeah, Zodiac Star Force is at 500. I feel like this is quite comparable to Zodiac Star Force. Yeah. Uh, Batman Super Heavy is at 505. That's contemporary. That is contemporary. This is hey, the 500s, that's where uh that's where DCU goes. <laughs> yeah. That's where DCU lives. Looking at what's on here, I mean, it's kind of also really comparable to 524 is the Legion of Superheroes 3 boot, uh the first six issues. By Wade and Kitson. Very comparable to that, too, I think. Okay. I'm going to say... I'm going to say better than Aerosmith. With a W. Right. The the Music Pacheco series. Yeah, which we have said before is kind of the... It's kind of the average, really good comic. <laughs> yeah. So it's, you read and go, a- wow, this is good. And it is the, it's the... It, it's a it's a it's a good hand. It's a B plus player. It's a solid comic book. 
Aerosmith. Yeah, it'll put you over. It's not as good as Legion Lost. Because that's a really good story that really breathed new life into that franchise. I think it is not as good as the Cobra Civil War. Okay. I think it's... It, I mean, honestly, look. Honestly, honestly, it's probably better than Fantastic Four number nine. So, I, I lost you in the numbers. Where where are you? I'm looking number? at number 510. 510. So, you want to put it at the new number 510? I'm, I'm thinking that's the spot. All right. Then, then so it will be. The new number 510 goes Black Canary, 2015, DCU, YOU. Do we have like a like a a full title for this story? I know that they use uh, lyrics from uh, Search and Destroy for a lot of the issue titles. I'm just going to call it Black Canary 2015 because I, I don't think there's a title for the full volume. It, this probably got collected in two trades, so uh, I, th- I think the easiest thing to call it is just Black Canary 2015. I will say that I think it's cool that the band is called Black Canary. It's also a little bit annoying because then I can't call Dinah Black Canary because Black Canary is the name of the band. Yeah. And the thing that was annoying is that she had already been established as being a superhero named Black Canary at this time. Yeah. it's, It's like calling Annie Clark St. Vincent. Or like calling Pantera, Pantera. Yeah. She is known professionally as St. Vincent, but also sometimes St. Vincent is a band. You, you know, we ought, we need to talk to John Darnielle about that. <laughs> Take him to task. New Mountain Goats album was what I was listening to while I read this uh, this book, by the way. New Mountain Goats album kicks ass. Two of my favorite Mountain Goats songs ever are on it. The two collections of this book are called kicking and screaming and new killer star kicking and screaming is a really good title for a black canary story that is a really good title it's a really good title for this book specifically yeah black canary we liked it it's at the new number 510 on the list if you would like to suggest something for us to catch up on well, uh, by the way if if you're curious like it's it's worth a read yeah for sure uh if you would like to su- suggest something for us to catch up on in uh, September, uh, email us at warrocketpodcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on Tumblr, warrocketpodcast.tumblr.com. Hit us up on Twitter at warrocketpod. Or join our Discord and give us a suggestion there. You have to be invited to be part of our Discord, so contact us in one of the ways I just said and ask for an invite to the Discord. And as long as you're a fairly nice person, uh, we'll get you that invitation. You can also check out our website, which is warrocketajax.com. It has every episode of the show. And uh, you can go to warrocketwiki.com, which has all kinds of info about the show. If you want to make this show continue monthly, if you like it when we catch up on comics, you can support us by going to patreon.com slash warrocketajax and uh, kicking, in, kicking in a monthly contribution starting at a dollar and going up to as much as you want to uh, to help us keep doing 
all the shows that we do here on the Kleidus Media Network. If you want to find me and my stuff, I'm at mattdwilson.net. You can find links to everything that I do there. My books, my comics, my social medias, and my other podcasts. Chris, where can people find you? Everybody can find me by going to the-isb.com. That is my website and has links to everything that I do. And that'll do it for this Comics Catch-Up. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, We hope you enjoyed our discussion of Black Canary. I sure did. Until next time, good catching up. (laughs) 